going on, Lo? Hey. How's it going? You look cozy. You look cozy this episode. I am cozy. I'm just, you know, chilling like a villain. Snuggled up. Maxing and relaxing. Yep. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> episode, episode from bed, guys. I could move to my bed, but then I can't bring my handy dandy um, candle stick holder that's holding my microphone right now. <laughs> it looks fancy. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I try. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is a short week at work, like, you know, four day, four day week. Cause it was just the holiday weekend yet. It feels like it's dragging on. I don't know about for you if it's the same or any of you guys out there listening if it felt the same but I am just like a dragging this week (laughs) yeah it's a little tiring I think it's because it's Thursday and you just want it to be Friday facts (laughs) Um, but I only have tomorrow and then I got four days and then I got a week off so jealous (laughs) Girl, I'm moving some stuff all day. Yeah, I know. It's not like you're going on vacation or anything. Yeah. Still, it'll be exciting to see the house, you know, coming together. Yeah, I'm going to be calling you next Saturday. Right? <laughs> get everything set up and I, uh, put I don't in its get place. You, I don't get you this Saturday because you have zoo plans with family. <laughs> I mean, like, what is that? I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> so I'm putting my request in for next Saturday. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will insert it into the calendar. <laughs> yeah. I, this pet. And then the past weekend I went to Chicago and, you know, anytime I go to a city environment, you always just see s- some interesting characters, you know? Like, you think there's interesting characters around here. Just go around where you live, but, like, go to a city and you're going to see some things. Like Uh, You want to go into interesting characters? Yeah. Tell Um, me. (laughs) We found a notebook in the pole barn of the house that we're moving into. I didn't read it all, but my husband said it was dark and uh, whoever wrote it had some... uh, had some problems and is it wrong that I'm excited to want to sit down and read this? No, because I, I want to also, it's not (laughs) even my house and I want to sit down and read that. (laughs) I want to know what was going on. (laughs) I'm like, don't get rid of that because, um, I want to read it. And then, um, Crystal's going to want to, when I'm done, what they exactly said that to him. (laughs) You are a hundred percent correct. I need to dive into that. Honestly, if anything's like interesting enough or cool enough, maybe you could like share it on here I don't know how you feel about that but like I'll see what it is um, yeah depending on like I said I, if it's somebody's like I don't know I'll see yeah. what it is and then I'll go from there yeah we'll see how dark it gets <laughs> it, I just imagine you reading it and getting like deeper and deeper into it and your face just like your jaw just like dropping lower and lower like the more that you read <laughs> oh my god I'm excited <laughs> Uh, get the wine right speaking of wine we are going back to an oldie but a goodie uh 
the St. Julian sweet revenge. We love that shit, you know? <laughs> it just tastes good. <laughs> it tastes good. It's got cool packaging. Like, you can't go wrong with it. Are you listening, St. Julian? Because that was an ad of a lifetime. We love that shit. We love that shit. Sponsor us, okay? <laughs> we love your shit. <laughs> I think they follow us. Doesn't St. Julian follow us on Instagram? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Where's our brand deal? <laughs> <laughs> and we who did we have last week that we drank? Stella Rose. Yeah, so I mean, come on, you two. Yeah, what the heck? We're going to stop talking about your wines until... until First one to claim us. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We'll be all over that marketing. (laughs) Uh, So, shout out to Dax. Shout out. Okay, so... Wait, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Before you get into it, it, just when you shouted Dax out, it reminded me. Did you see Kristen Bell's Instagram post about... It was like a bunch of videos of Dax doing like different yard work and like things like that. And she was like, my husband has been making me want him all weekend or something like that. No, but I'm going to go watch it when we're done. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) I know a client had tried to tell me, she's like, did you hear that Dax and KB are getting a divorce? I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, like KB is like divorcing him. I was like, "Um, I listen to his show every week and there has not been an ounce of that and he's pretty open on his show about everything yeah fake news fake um news. i was like yeah i i don't think that's a thing no not at all especially especially with what she just posted yeah go watch that after this because it was funny <laughs> oh definitely but anyways so- you can continue <laughs> i just had to say something <laughs> it's not like we have a show to do or anything kk i know you know my mind so today's story, this is actually kind of a, um, a sadder one, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. Um, I know Crime Junkies did it, so I did get a little information from them. And then also um, some of my information was on NBC News and ABC News and all the platforms, you know. All the reliable sources that we love. So this is the story of Amy Widener. Uh, Amy was 13 years old, and she was one of four children. Her mother, Gloria, was a single mom. She was doing her best, though. You know, she thought she was doing a pretty good job raising these kids on their own. Um, Amy was a good girl. All her kids were, really. Uh, She never really had to worry about them. Not anything more than your normal, everyday, you know, kid stuff. Um, One day, Amy was very upset and she was crying and, you know, she walked up to her mom and she was saying, mom, please don't hate me. And her mom was like, what? I could never hate you, baby. What is going on? You know, talk to me. I feel like before you reveal what she says, that probably has to be like a scary thing for your teenager to like come up and say to you, because you're, you're probably just like, is it not going to be a big deal or is it going to be like a ginormous deal? Like what is about to come out of her mouth? Yes. And this whole story gave me feels because my daughter is this age. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, so, um, she ended up confessing to her mother that she was pregnant. Ooh. Um, now that's a big one. (laughs) Though nobody knew for five months, 
Um, her mother, Gloria, said that she hid the pregnancy pretty well. She always had, you know, baggy sweatshirts, um, the sweatpants, you know, that's how the teenagers dress. Like, right. You know, that's how I freaking dress. <laughs> so, um, it was pretty easy for her to hide. Um, when her mom asked who the dad was, she found out that it was actually her brother's best friend. Best friend's brother, my best friend's brother. She's jumping back to the victorious days. <laughs> okay, continue. <laughs> um, so Gloria made it clear to her daughter that school would remain a priority and told Amy that she didn't want her involved with the baby's father. Um, he was 17-year-old Tony Amber Combi, and he was a friend of JP's that Amy had been seeing quietly. And she quoted, I was angry. I'm not going to tell you anything different. I felt betrayed by a young man that I would say was my son's best friend. And the fact that this was happening behind my back. So she was pretty upset. I mean, and why wouldn't you be your 13 year old is, you know, hooking up with your 17 year old son's friend. So and I wonder how the brother felt about that too. Probably not happy. Right. Um, Not sure on the feelings of what Amy and Tony felt, but he did end up staying away. He backed out of the picture. Hmm. Uh, So Gloria and her siblings, uh, Amy's siblings, they all pitched in to help with the baby and they even babysat. So she could even still go out and have a social life. I mean, by the time the baby was born, she was 14. So, I mean... Oh my gosh. Yeah. So when I say Amy is a rock star, I'm not even close to lying. Like she had her baby. She still thrived in school. Um, and she would even go into school before she had the baby. Um, she knew she was going to be having the baby. So she would actually go into school early to catch up on work, if not get ahead to make sure she was staying on task of all school assignments. That's um, awesome. Honestly, yeah. cuz I feel like that's hard for even you know, kids to do who don't have babies at home, you know? So the fact that she really stayed focused just, you know, shows that she's a strong cookie. Oh yeah. Amy gave birth to Emily on October 25th, 1987 and returned uh, back to school six days later whoa (laughs) that's impressive that that girl missed a whopping six days shit my child missed way more than that way less than that okay (laughs) so um yeah my girl my child needs to get her shit together um so for the next two years amy balanced motherhood with studyings of school stuff in 1989, Amy Widener attended Howe High School in Indianapolis, and her French teacher, Jody George, said that this was a very strong student. I think the most important thing about her was her work ethic. Again, you know, because she would come into work, I'm sorry, she would come into school early to plan ahead to get things done. Um, on November 13th, 1989, Amy wasn't feeling well, so she stayed home from school along with her two-year-old daughter, Emily. Now, um, 
her mother did say, you know, hey, let me take Emily to daycare or get a babysitter. But Amy insisted, you know, mom, it's not that bad. It's just sore throat. You know, your typical cold symptom stuff. You know, I'm just going to lay it out. I'll sleep it off. You know, just leave her. I got her. I can handle it. So her mother was like, okay, you know. So later that day, her mother uh, would call to check on her and she got no answer. Um, she called again a few hours later, no answer again. Now she's starting to get a little bit worried. She asked a neighbor to go knock on the door. And so the neighbor said, you know, absolutely, I'll go check on her. Uh, they knocked at the door and again, there was no answer, um, no Amy. So now Gloria is getting a little more worried. Um, so she decided she's going to leave work early. I don't know if it was intuition, gut feeling, something. Um, so Gloria immediately left work to return home to a scene in Amy's bedroom that will haunt her forever. Her daughter was beaten, strangled, raped, and left for dead. Oh my gosh. Gloria immediately ran for Emily. Luckily, she was unharmed. I'm not sure if they didn't know she was in the house or they didn't hear her or what it was, but thank God, right? I mean, yeah, because I mean, it's one thing for her to lose her daughter and to see her daughter like that, but then to also, you know, if something did happen to Emily, have to see her grandchild, a little baby, you know, in a scene like that too. So thank God that, you know, the baby wasn't harmed also. Yeah, Gloria, Gloria immediately ran for Emily. Um, luckily, you know, she was unharmed. Um, but when she did find Emily, she kept saying Mamie, which Mamie means Amy. That's what she would call Amy, Mamie. Um, she said, you know, Mamie was mean. Mamie was being mean. So by hearing that, they're like, she saw Amy fighting back. Mm. She saw, so they don't know exactly what she saw or, you know, but she saw something, but with her being only two years old, you can't really get that much information out of her, you know? Right. Oh, that's gotta be so tough. Cause then it's like, when she grows up, she's not going to fully remember what she saw. So it's not like. They can ask her like in a few years, you know, she probably wouldn't have much information. And then, yeah, to say like, oh, she was mean. Yeah, she was probably like fighting whoever did this to her. So Captain Jack Gilliker, I'm sorry if I butcher the name. Um, he was with the Marion County Sheriff's Office. And at the time of Amy's murder, he was the first one at the Indianapolis Police Department to arrive at the Widener home. She had marks on her upper head, unclothed. It was a scene that you do not forget. Uh, Captain Roberts told that there were blood prints all over and that you could tell it was a violent scene. So they start collecting evidence and they end up taking her bedding, which was covered in semen. And they take her clothes. They take some hairs that did not match Amy's. And there was bloody palm print on the wall that was left there. So um, they actually ended up cutting 
the drywall out of the wall and took the whole piece of wall with them. Um, so they can compare it to any other handprints that come their way. Wow. Um, police believe that Amy's murder was a result of a robbery gone wrong. Uh, a stereo equipment and cash was missing. The theory was that the silent entered through an opened back door. Amy surprised him and struggled ensued. And during that, which she ended up being raped, beat and strangled, which it's really mind boggling because even if she caught somebody by surprise, I could see, you know, the being beaten and strangled to death, you know, to kill her, which not really approving that at all. But like the rape thing is just an extra like, okay, you know, like, yeah. Like if they were just going there to rob the house. And then they ended up killing her because she was there and they didn't know that she was going to be there. It's like, yeah, like, okay, you had, you had to rape her on top of that. Like, yeah. So two days later, Amy um, has her funeral and the police actually go to the funeral. Um, They want to see the sign in book and they want to see who's there. They want to see who shows up because they firmly believe that whoever murdered Amy um, there's a high chance that they're going to be there, which I have heard in other cases, you know, we've talked about this in the past that a lot of times the suspect will show up because they either want to see the chaos that they caused, or they want to see who knows what about what. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that about a lot of them, like, and it's just so sick, you know, like, that they go there, even if it's not to like be proud of seeing what they did. I feel like it's still just like, so I don't know, like disrespectful to like go to the funeral when they're the one who freaking caused it. It's really gross. Yeah, honestly. So they knew Amy due to the fact that a stereo system was missing and the house was not ransacked. It wasn't destroyed. Um, they knew that it's pretty much the stereo system is what they wanted. That's what they were going for. They knew where it was and they knew how to get in and how to get out. They probably knew the schedule, like, okay, everybody's at school now. Everybody's at work now, but a boom, but a bing, I'll be in, I'll be out, you know? Um, but Amy coming around the corner totally threw the person off, put a wrench in the plan. And so that was the new theory that they were going with. Okay. So yes, it had to be somebody. Now, did they want the stereo for drug money? Did they want it for, uh, you know, just to have it, but whoever did it, you know, they couldn't keep the stereo because if there's a friend, you know, eventually they're going to go to that person's house and I'm like, Oh, Hey, it's my stereo. I mean, Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be an easy thing to just like hide. So it is interesting because it's like if they were going specifically for the stereo, it's like then they knew that the stereo was in the house. So it's like, was it it was it somebody that they knew because they knew that that was in there? Or did they I don't know if they planned on killing her and then they just took the stereo to make it look like it was for a robbery Um, From what I've read and researched, 
everything seems to think that they did not know she was going to be there. Okay. Um, so it was just like a, they just wanted the stereo. Yeah. Um, but obviously it was overkill because I mean, I mean, we'll go on through the story, but even though that you killed her, you know, they could have just left, but they ended up raping her too. And that's just, it wasn't to me, that's not an accidental plan. Like you had to be like, Oh, well, okay. And to take it that much farther, you know? Right. Like, cause you would think if they were so surprised by her and they killed her, like in the heat of the moment, like they wouldn't, why would they even think about raping her? Yeah. At first the family hoped that the crime would be solved pretty quick. Um, that, whoever killed Amy would be caught pretty quick. Um, knowing that they left that key clue behind, they had that handprint off the wall. It was just a matter of finding whose hand it is. Um, police also conducted interviews with um, Amy's classmates. Um, one of her friends, Angie Moore, um, they obviously wanted to know, you know, who she's been around, who she's been talking to, hanging out with. Has she been dating somebody new? Um, what has she been doing? Where has she been? They even questioned JP, her brother. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, might seem like, you know, it's her brother, but in all reality, it's not that odd for it to end up being, a, you know, a sibling. Um, I mean, I feel like the right part would have been weird if it was your brother, but there are sick people out there. I mean... Yeah, of all the shows we listen to and things we read and talk about, I mean, we know. Yeah, exactly. Like it's crazy, but it's not super. Yeah, exactly. Not unmanageable. So even though JP is her brother, you know, they had to ask him anyway, and he was not happy about it. He loved his sister. They were great friends. They were close. Um, It wasn't looking good for JP reputation wise, you know, people talk, you know, however, he did take a lie detector test and he did pass with flying colors. Um, so now they're reaching out to crime stoppers for help. Anybody with a clue, please call in. Um, they choose crime stoppers because crime stoppers is a place where you can call and give tips or, you know, any kind of anything that, you know, and it can be anonymous. So you don't have to leave your name. So years went by with no arrests and Lieutenant Roger Spurgeon, um, at the time he was the head of the IMPD cold case unit and he would check sporadically into leads. Um, it was really difficult to figure out who was a suspect. Um, and it was looking like that they most likely, um, will not solve this one. Um, he had to move on to, a new case and uh, to a new job. So from 1989 to 2002, nothing happens. It's dead. It's just cold sitting on a desk. Um, in 2002, it sat on a pile of cold cases with hundreds and hundreds of files. Okay, when I say hundred and hundreds, it was 800 files to be exact. 800 cases that are left cold sitting on a desk. That's so sad. Like just cold cases in general, like that's just so sad. You can't imagine like how the family feels 
you know, because they're still like obviously yearning for the answers and the justice. And then when it's just kind of being sat on because police do have to move on, sadly, you know, when new cases come along, it's just sad to think about like how the family feels about that and has to deal with that. Yeah. Um, I, when I was listening to Britt and Ash talk about this, um, they were saying, and I kind of like, I was like, oh my God, that'd be so cool. But they talked about how, would it be cool if you had volunteers um, to sit in and put it through databases and just volunteer work to go through cold cases for fresh eyes? Yeah. Like, you know how many people would freaking do that? Like so many people. I know, since, especially since true crime is so huge now. Yeah. Um, I thought, I was like, oh my God, that's kind of a good idea. They might be onto something. Right. I feel like they should definitely do that. They probably should like not just let anybody do it because like some people might be like too crazy about it. Do you know what I mean? Like they should probably well, maybe like, do a, a background, background check. check. Yeah. 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 Like, I think yeah. that that would be that would be good. <laughs> um, but one day it jumps up to the top. Um, so a strange tip comes in. They get a phone call and there's a weird dude. And he says he's had this very vivid dream of a girl getting murdered. And he goes on to explain the details and explain different things in his dream. And, you know, he goes on to even say, like, I don't even live in town. You know, he's like, I'm from out of town. I'm not even from around there. But I just had this dream. I don't know. It was really weird. But they just chalked it up to, like, he's weird. Maybe he's just a drug addict. I don't know. This is already so cool to me. (laughs) So they like, okay, you know, so they kind of go back and they skim through some more cold cases because something was sounding kind of familiar. Maybe they came across Amy's file again and some things kind of matched up, but at the same time, not really enough. You know what I mean? So the cops have no idea. They're talking about what he's talking about. So um, they just kind of come back to another dead end and it, you know, just kind of sits there. Um, in 2011, um, a friend of Amy Widener created this memorial page on Facebook. Uh, the cold case detect- detective assigned to Amy's murder. He wasn't real familiar with Facebook. I mean, old people really aren't, you know. Right, Yeah. <laughs> Tell that, to my, then. tell that to my grandma okay she's on facebook <laughs> oh, she's, you're telling her yourself now if she's listening <laughs> um so the cold case uh detective that was assigned to amy's murder like i said he wasn't familiar with facebook he asked this it's called a nuisance abatement officer um and that was detective sergeant william carter um, he asked him to print the page. Now, his job, he was, uh, you know, he's a sergeant, but he was more for like underage drinking, uh, tracks liquor laws, looks on Facebook to find underage drinking, and just kind of make sure things don't get out of control there. And um, just kind of like just minor little bop cop stuff. Um, however, though, he does take pride into putting a stop to dog fighting. So I was like, high five, my man. I love that. I love that. <laughs> so now lucky for detectives, uh, Bill had been sitting next to detectives that were in charge of this case and he was listening to them talk and he printed up, you know, the, the Facebook stuff that he was asked to do. 
and he's you know looking at it and he's just like you know what this is kind of piquing his interest for some you know whatever reason so he starts to kind of dig into amy's case on his own just kind of for his own curiosity you know just kind of taking on the case um so he's never invested a homicide case before but he was intrigued with amy's photo so he began working to find the killer on his own time and he starts entering names into like this database um and he figures if out of all those 800 cases and all this other stuff so many sitting there so why not put it through a database and then cross-reference names? So if he comes across names, he's not repeating itself. It'll kind of just like, you know, show connections for him, I guess. So in June, he began interviewing some neighbors who lived near the Widener's Southside home on East Terrace Avenue, where Amy Widener was killed the morning of November 13th, 1989. One former neighbor gave a list of names of people who might know something. One of them was Denk, and this was a friend of the Widener's. Two weeks later, June 27th, 2012, Carter went to Ding's house. Well, actually, it's his mom's house and the South Side to talk to him about the case. However, he was not there. Later that day, he called and set up a meeting saying that he would come by on Sunday and he wanted to talk to him. Well, on the day of the meeting, guess who was nowhere to be found? Freaking dank. <laughs> Sus. Fishy, fishy. Fishy, fishy, spishy, spishy. Yes. <laughs> His mother said that he left earlier that week. Uh, the next day, Carter obtained a hard copy file on his desk. And in the 1997, he had an arrest um, for larceny and um, I want to say battery, I believe it was. Damn. But the matched prints, the prints matched the handprint that they took from the wall. Oh, my gosh. Freaking dank. <laughs> so. Police were later able to trace a rental car to him, and he was staying at a friend's house on the east side. When the police confronted him, he ran out screaming like a crazy guy. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And then he cut his wrist and he cut his throat with a knife. Whoa, that escalated. Oh, my gosh. I feel like, you know. I feel like he did it. You know, I know he's screaming that he didn't, but like his actions kind of speak otherwise. Oh, one, you know, he did it. Two, he didn't die. He's just an idiot. Okay. Oh my God. He he didn't even do that correctly. (laughs) So Rodney Dink was taken to the Wishard Hospital where he spoke with the police and he admitted to the assault. So obviously, you know... (laughs) He changed his mind rather quickly. Okay, I did do it, you know. Why the hell did he even cut his throat then? Like, this makes no sense. You can't fix stupid. Yeah, you really can't, because that just makes, that that just was stupid. So um, he says that he didn't know she was in there. I was in John Paul's room. I took the radio. She came around the corner, caught me off surprise. I hit her in the head. 
So you accidentally hit her in the head and accidentally raped her and strangled her and killed her. Yeah. Like it's one thing to accidentally hit somebody on the head, but those other two things, you can't really accidentally do them. You know what I mean? Like can't accidentally put your pee into somebody's V on accident. Right. Like he, he didn't slip on a banana peel and it just, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) But he changed his story a lot. You know, he went from, I did it. I didn't. I did. I had help. I had a partner. He came in and took the stereo with me. He was the watchman. He was just outside. He was a driver. He went all over the map with it. He was trying to figure um, out what would uh, get him like the least amount of time. Which I do believe they think that there is a good chance he did have help. But because this guy is an idiot and, you know, it turned into... I don't remember. I can't remember. They had no like leads to try to find a second assailant. So that guy probably did get away. Um, Yeah. Now there's a good chance he might've been a driver. Maybe he didn't realize what Rodney was doing. Maybe it escalated and he's like, holy shit, what did you do? Like I'm out. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. How, however, um, and, and nobody called in and said that they seen a second guy or with any clues. Yeah. And I feel like since he like changed his story so many times that like, even if he did have somebody with him, they probably like, didn't even know, like, did he actually have somebody with him? Is he making this up? Like his story just keeps changing. Like, and if there's no proof of anybody being with him, like, how do they kind of like move forward from there? Yeah. So I think they were more or less just concentrating on, you know, dink, dink, dinkus, dinko, <laughs> dinkus, all the dinks. <laughs> so dank, dink, dinkus, dumbass, douchebag, D bag, D bag, all the D's. Um, <laughs> he was 18 at the time of the murder. Um, he was charged in July when police said that he had gone to Widener's house to burglarize it, but he was surprised when Amy stayed home sick. Um, Deputy Prosecutor Denise Robinson said that Dinkus, I'm changing him to Dinkus, brought a pipe. That's and, his name from now on. <laughs> and struck the victim with her when she confronted him and uh, followed her to the bedroom and then raped and strangled her. He admitted to the crime in a plea agreement with prosecutors. And when he appeared in court on that Friday morning, um, he was pretty quiet and limited his answers to yes and no. Oh, now he's now he's short with his answers. (laughs) Um, We don't have it in our hearts to forgive you. Um, Amy's memory will be honored and we will never have any thoughts of you. Gloria Widener told during that court that you took away our sense of security and betrayed our friends and your friends and you are one and the same, meaning like they just, they can't phantom that it was someone that they knew. Um, And it was so heinous what he did that they're just, they're not going to forgive him, but they're not going to think of him either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like what a freaking, I mean, 
obviously to lose your daughter in that way, but then to find out it's somebody that you freaking know, like not that they like trusted him necessarily, but they didn't not trust him. You know what I mean? Like, I believe it was a friend of John Paul's, you know? So yeah. So um, like, I can't even also imagine how John Paul felt about that. Like his friend doing that to his sister. Yeah. As a teenager, um, he was one of John Paul's best friends. And even after the sentencing hearing, Amy Widener's family couldn't even look at him. They just, it was sick. And, you know, like we've said, to, he was not going to be thought of anything but as a former friend. Bam, done. Um, I thought I was going to see a monster, but who I saw was Rodney. Gloria said at the hearing, for 23 years, seven months, and one day, we believed a stranger had come into our home, not somebody that we knew. Yeah, like the betrayal. Insane. About 20 family members and friends attended the sentencing, and most of them cried as Gloria read her statements on the stand. At her request, the bailiff walked over to the defendant's table and showed Ding a picture of Amy Widener, then looked at it. He looked at it briefly, and then he said nothing. He was sentenced to 50 years for murder and charged 15 years for the rape. Um, he will serve the 65 years consecutively. Um, I want to also mention um, a little side tale, if you will. So in a bizarre coincidence, police learned that Rodney, he had a son, Dylan Dink, Dinkus Jr., <laughs> um, was he was also in prison. He was serving 20 years for killing his mother. Great family. And, Damn. And Rodney, Rodney's ex-wife, Mary McHenry. McHenry allegedly been abusive to Dylan, and he killed her when he was 16, just one year younger than Rodney was at the time that he killed Amy. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, I see. Is it genetic or is it learned, you know? Right. I mean, it's sad that his mother was. Nature versus nurture. I mean. Yeah. Or is it just a kind of like they're just the whole chainsaw massacre fucked up family? All of the above, I feel. Um, Emily no longer has a memory of those events. Um, She doesn't even remember how she learned of Amy's murder. She said that she doesn't even remember a serious conversation about it. Uh, she just kind of remembers one day they would say that Amy is gone and that's pretty much her recollection of it. Um, Detective Sergeant Bill Carter, he was actually honored at a press conference announcing the arrest of Rodney. And it had been a year since he'd been asked to look at the Facebook page. And he had spent 12 days actively questioning people about the case. Um, so they kind of gave him like a little ceremony and he, you know, teared up and, you know, people were calling him a hero, but he just said it was just luck. I mean, that is cool how he kind of just like looked into it as not like a hobby, but like just out of his own curiosity, like he wasn't like assigned to it or anything. Like all the people who were assigned to it couldn't figure it out. 
So it's kind of cool that, you know, he just looked at it into his own time and he was the one who like ultimately solved it. Yeah, they say, you know, the fresh eyes. So, I mean, maybe that's all it took, you know, he right. saw something that somebody else didn't or, you know, it could have even been luck. He went back to the neighborhood and, you know, the right timing on somebody's like, oh, hey, you might want to check this guy out. And it's just kind of it all aligned for him that day. But I'm glad it did. And, you know. Yeah, definitely. So that the family could get that closure. I mean, I mean, still what a horrible way to like find out that it was a family friend. But nonetheless, they didn't they didn't have to like wonder anymore about who it was or what happened. Yeah, it's just it's terrible all around, you know, and like I said, I heard the story, started researching it and I'm just like, holy crap, because it's the same age that my daughter is not, but she was older, you know, when she was murdered, she wasn't 13, but you know, just the idea of being pregnant at 13 and having a baby at 14. I'm just like, oh my God, because I look at my daughter and my daughter is not innocent by any means, but in that category, she's very young, naive in this sense with that. I couldn't even imagine her coming up to me and being like, um, yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's just sad too. like, you know, she did get a pregnant so young, but she was like striving to like you know, succeed in life. And she was like taking school really seriously and just like working really hard. And the fact that it was just all her entire life was just taken away from her because somebody wanted a freaking stereo that probably wasn't even that great. It's just stupid. Really? I mean, it was 1989. So he probably wanted to like double tape or some shit. I don't know, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) Like there is they had the two cassettes so you could tape one off the other. Oh, like like pirating it? It was legal. Okay. <laughs> time Crystal was born, CDs was big. She probably I, time Crystal was able to get music iPods is probably big. Oh yeah. I did LimeWire, so I got my my free music off that. Yeah. <laughs> so it onto my CDs. For some of us people, um, we had to start with records. <laughs> I and do then, have a record player in my basement. I don't know how to work it, but it's down there. <laughs> Charlotte got one for Christmas last year. She'll show you. Hers is and then, and then we had to go to cassettes and we either had to sit and tape our music off the radio. We had to sit and wait for your song to come on and hit record. Or if you're lucky, you had one with two. So if like my friend Michelle had the, you know, newest Whitney Houston tape, I could be like, let me borrow that real quick. And I could tape it onto a blank tape and I'd have my own copy. Man, you guys worked for that. <laughs> you guys worked yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, life was a little hard. And then if it got messed up, you had to take your pencil and twist inside of a tape to rewind it. And yeah. Oh my gosh. Dang. <laughs> but Still... the tapes are pretty. The blank tapes, they were clear and they were like teal and yellow and pink on them. Oh, pretty. Yeah. I had also the little clippets, the little, do you know what I'm talking about? They were teeny little, what were they called? I think they're called clippets. I think they were tiny, and you would just clip them into this little player, and you could listen to the song. 
<laughs> so it's not like, you know, Alexa, play this. Right. Yeah. A little bit less advanced than that, but still pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> gotcha. But yeah, horrible, just gut-wrenching story. I'm glad that, not that I'm glad that her daughter doesn't like, I'm glad that her daughter doesn't remember it because she was there. Because that has to be like traumatizing to see that. But it is sad that, you know, she doesn't even really remember her mom at all. Yeah. You know, you're glad that she was too young to remember, but your heart aches because she didn't get a mom that she deserved. Yeah, exactly. She just like has to hear about her through other people without actually really knowing what she was like. Yeah. But at least uh, I'm glad, you know, I know it took 20 years, but at least they did get their justice. And, yeah. You know, he did get caught and, you know, kind of going back to last week's story. It's not too late to get RJ. Right. <laughs> Better late than never. Seriously. And some people just get away with it. They live their lives and they never get caught. Probably a, st- a lot of people, actually. I'm still bitter at the Natalie case. I still think about it. I'm like, fucking rj man like i know face just gets me so mad because he's not only free living life he's like rich and like powerful and like gets to like just live an extraordinary life you know but we won't yeah go listen to last last week's episode yeah if you don't know back into it but uh you can send us an email and then then we'll We'll debate it online. We'll talk about it online. Right. Seriously. But Um, yeah, if you have uh, any stories that you want to share, talk about, request, let us know the things. Yeah, we haven't had a requested one in a while. That'd be fun if you guys sent one, sent a request in. We definitely would do it. Yes. At uh, horrorwineandcrime at gmail.com. Send them in, peeps. Send them in. And we will be back next week with a whole new story. And then the week after that, hopefully we'll be recording from the new office. Woo woo. So excited. Next week we'll be recording from the moving truck. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Live from the moving truck. (laughs) Just hear it like bouncing around. (laughs) AKA my husband's trailer. that'd be fun oh my gosh we're out here windy as hell because it's a trailer and there's no (laughs) cover on it coming to you live from oxford or waterford or wherever the heck we would be in the trailer (laughs) Uh, yes okay well as always thank you for listening thank you for being a true creeper yes thanks guys and we'll talk to you next week Stay creepy. We got to go. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.